I want to preach a message to you today called How to Change Your Life. How to Change Your Life. The reality is all of us in this room need some change to happen in our life this year. How many of y'all need some change for the better in your mind, in your marriage, in your finances, in your relationships? How many need to meet your spouse this year? You need to meet Mr. Right, Miss, Mrs. Right, whoever it is. You need to meet the right person. You need some changes to happen in your life. And today I want to talk to you about the power to change, how to change your life. Because the reality is no one can change it for you. The answer you're looking for, the person you're seeking, the, the, the answer lies within you, and it lies within a relationship with Jesus Christ. It lies within understanding the Word of God and applying it into your life. Last year, America spent $7.6 million teaching financial literacy for free to anyone who would take the class. After the class, they, they did a research. They followed up with the people who took it the week after, and everyone who took the class remembered the information that they learned. So they thought, okay, information is going to change people's lives. As long as they get the information, their lives will be changed. The only problem was when they followed up, less than 10% actually applied the information that they learned. And then six months later, 0.0001% had still been applying those principles in their life, which tells us this. Information doesn't change our lives. Application changes our lives. It's not enough to just know the word. It's not enough to just study the word. You've got to apply the word in your life. And here is the truth. All of us in this room have been given limitless potential to do incredible things for God in our lives. You have so much potential in your life, so much potential. You were not born with limitations. You were born with possibilities. We were not born with the things we can't do. We were born with limitless possibilities. In fact, our lives are like these balloons behind me. These balloons are filled with helium. They are meant to soar. But oftentimes, we're like these balloons. We're tied down to weights in our lives that are holding us back from the potential that God has put inside of us. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about these three guys who are blessed with potential. They're blessed with gifts. And, and, and it's, not that, you know, it's not the question of, did God give me enough gifts for my life? Did God give me enough potential? 2020 is a gift. The fact that you're alive today, this is a gift. But what we do with our potential is our gift back to God. So God has given us the gift of a new year, the gift of new potential. And just like these balloons, we've got to find out what are those weights that are holding us back. In this story, um, each of these three guys, they each have a decision to make. One is given five talents, another one is given two, and another one is given one. So the guy with five talents, he multiplies them and uh, maximizes his gifts. And the master says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The next guy, he's not given as much, but he makes the most of the little that he has, the two, and he multiplies it to four. And the master says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In other words, you are making the most of your potential. But the third guy, he hid the gift that he had. And he thought, I was afraid that I would fail, and I was afraid that you would take it from me, you'd be mad at me, so I just hid it for you. Here it is, safe and sound. And Jesus said, you wicked and lazy servant, you didn't do anything with the potential that I gave you. All of us in this room have been given potential. But Miles Monroe said this, the wealthiest place in the world is the graveyard. Because in the graveyard is buried potential, buried books that were never written, buried churches that were never planted, buried businesses that were never started, buried ideas and dreams that people never activated or acted on. And I wonder what's holding you back. I wonder what weights are holding you down this year. In 1982, there was this guy named Larry Walters. And Larry got this idea. He thought, you know, I was born to soar. I was born to fly. I was born to rise above all my problems. So he went to an army surplus store. No joke. He bought 42 massive balloons. And he tied them to his lawn chair. 
and he tied his lawn chair down to his Jeep, and he got a six-pack of Miller Lite beer, and he got, this is a true story, he got a backpack full of sandwiches and a pellet gun. He sat down in his lawn chair, called all of his friends, his girlfriend. He said, listen, guys, I was born to fly. And he said, I want you to cut the cord of my chair connected to the Jeep, and these balloons are going to take me up 100 feet into the sky. This was in Los Angeles, 1982. And, um, and he said, I'm going to have the prettiest view. I'm going to eat my sandwiches, drink my beer, and then I'm going to shoot the balloons, and I'm going to gradually float back down. This was a true story. In fact, they made a movie about him called Lawn Chair Larry. How many of y'all remember this movie or this story, Lawn Chair Larry? Uh, a couple years ago, a movie came out called Up. I'm pretty sure it's based on this guy's life. No joke, Larry cut the cord. He didn't level out at 100 feet. He didn't level out at 500 feet. He went streaking into the air, and this guy took off higher and higher. He went 16,000 feet into the air. That's three miles high. So when I say you were born to fly, I'm not talking about lawn chair Larry. But Larry went flying into the sky. You would think he would die up there. He didn't die. He was scared for his life. He was too afraid to shoot the balloons down. He was sitting in his lawn chair. He just thought, okay, I'm going to drink my beers. I'm going to eat my sandwiches. And he just sat up there in the sky and pilots were flying over LAX airport. He had floated into their airspace where they land, and the pilots were radioing into the tower saying, you're not gonna believe this. And that's how they started all of the radio. There is a man in a lawn chair drinking beer, eating sandwiches, and he's being held up by balloons. He floated for 22 miles across California, finally got the guts to shoot his balloons, and he gradually came down, and he landed in telephone wire above Long Beach, California. The LAPD showed up, surrounded the area, arrested lawn chair Larry, and they said, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? He said, a man can't sit at home on all this potential. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, here's, here's the point. Potential is great. But until you do something with your potential, and I'm not talking about, like, getting balloons and tying it to a lawn chair. Some of y'all are like, that's my vision for 2020. I'm going to fly. Don't do it. Don't do it. Bad idea. But potential never comes to fruition if we just sit on it. Like, when I was 10 years old, or maybe it was 12, there was a, a man who came to our church. He was a pastor, and he moved in the prophetic realm, and he had a prophecy for me. He called me out in the church, and he said, you, son. And I was like, he said, yes, you with the Raiders, you know, hoodie on. I used to have an Oakland Raiders hoodie back in the day. And uh, he said, yes, you. And he said, there's a gift on your life, a gift to preach, a gift to write songs, a gift to play piano and guitar and a gift with writing and a gift with computers. And I was like, awesome. You know what happened the next day? Nothing. You know what happened the next week? Nothing. Some of us in this room, we're craving prophetic words, but we won't do the prophetic work to see those prophetic words come to pass. It's a lot like potential. Someone may look at, like when I was the college pastor, I remember praying for single guys, single girls down at the altar when we had 3D, our college ministry, and these, these people would come to me and they'd be like, hey, would you just pray for my boyfriend? He's really, really struggling. He's got a lot of addictions. He's cheated on me. He's done a lot of bad things, but he's got so much potential. Here's the problem with potential. It hasn't happened yet. 
And if we live in the land of potential, just dreaming about the possibilities, we'll never act on it. Information doesn't change our lives. Potential doesn't change our lives. It's the application. It's the prophetic work. You know what happened the next year after I got that prophecy? I started taking piano lessons. I started taking guitar lessons. I started just practicing. And the prophetic words started coming to pass in my life. I started learning the piano, learning the guitar, learning to write, learning to preach. If you're going to fulfill the potential and the prophetic words God has on your life, you're going to have to put some action into it. James says it like this in James chapter 2. Faith without works is Y'all sounded like dead. Ribbit, ribbit. <laughs> Faith without works is There you go. There you go. So if we're going to see a change happen in our life, how to change your life, you got to put some action behind the principles of God's word. If you got a Bible, go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Yeah, you can make some noise. And we're going to look at a man named Naaman who was held back by this one thing that was holding him back from really the potential and the promises and the possibilities that God had for his life. The prophetic word was waiting on prophetic action from Naaman's life. And spoiler alert, Naaman is about to get healed. His life is about to change. By the end of the story, we're going to see a different Naaman. But it's going to require some action. And that's what's going to have to happen in your life and my life this year. If we're going to see a change happen, we're going to have to put some action behind the potential and the prophetic word that God has placed on our life. I wonder what's holding you back today. Let's look at this first verse in 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, and he was highly regarded. Let me stop right there. He's successful. He's famous. He's impressive. He's the number two guy in Syria. Now this was during a time when King Solomon had died, and the nation of Israel was split. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It was a weak nation during that time, and Syria was actually stronger than Israel during that time. They were raiding the the nation of Israel. They were taking prisoners of war in. And in Syria, because they were so strong, there was this guy who was leading the charge. He was the one that everyone was looking to, and his name was Naaman. So Naaman was successful. He was powerful. He was known. He was strong. He was highly regarded. And because through him, the Lord had given them victory to Aram, he was a valiant soldier But, look at the end of that verse, but he had leprosy. But. Everybody has a but. (laughs) Some of y'all are like, that's a revelation right there. (laughs) All of us have a but in our lives. We do. All of us have this potential, but. But something's holding it down. All of us have these possibilities, but. All of us can do so many great things, but. And, and I wonder what your butt is. For, for Naaman, it was leprosy. And leprosy w- was a disease that was incurable. In other words, it had a due date, an expiration date. Naaman knew he was going to die soon. This disease, once you got it, and by the way, you weren't born with it, you came in contact with it. Over time, it developed. It, was, it had a long incubation period. It could sit inside a person's body, and they wouldn't even know they had it for 20 years. It started out as an internal disease before became an external disease. It could sit inside you, and then gradually over time, it would begin to surface. And it wouldn't surface everywhere. It could surface in spots that you could hide. And he was really good at hiding it from his boss. Because in the eyes of his boss, he was highly regarded. He was really good at hiding it from his coworkers. Because in the eyes of his coworkers, he was highly regarded. He was really good at hiding it from the church. Because in the eyes of the church, they thought, man, this guy's successful. He's known. He's a leader. People respect him. Kids want to be like him. But somebody at home had seen it. Somebody had seen his vulnerable places. 
the insecurities. I wonder what your butt is. Maybe, maybe you're in the room and you go, man, I'm really successful, but I struggle with insecurity. I, I'm a really great writer, but I never feel good enough. I, I'm a really great mom, but I have this shame issue, and I just feel ashamed. I, I'm really successful at work, but I'm a lousy dad, if I'm honest. I, I'm really gifted with money, but I'm terrible with friendships. I, I'm really good here, but there's this one area that, it, that if this thing changed I could really start to soar. I could really start to see my potential take off. And I want you to think about what is that one thing that needs to change in your life? If you're in the room today and you go, you know, honestly, Paul, there is nothing that needs to change. I have no but in my life. I'm doing amazing. I've arrived. I have no issues, no areas that need improvement in my life. Well, God bless you. Perfect people can come here too. But for those of us in this room that would say, no, honestly, there are some things that need to change. There's some areas in my thoughts that need to change. There's some areas in my heart that needs to change. There's a relationship that needs to get better this year. There's a dream that I've been sitting on, and, and I just haven't had the courage to act on it. There's this, there's this one part of my life. There's this addiction. There's this bad habit I've been trying to break. And if this thing changed, everything would change. Here's what happens. The reason why people don't change their lives is because we try to tackle 20 things at a time. But if you will focus on this one thing, if you'll just focus on one thing this year and then use all of your energy, all your spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, going to church, tithing, spending time in discipleship class, getting an accountability partner, and then taking all of that and centering it in on that one thing. I promise you, if you get that one thing, if you get that leprosy gone, everything will start to change in your life. For Naaman, he had to focus on that one thing. The problem is he got comfortable with it. And he was no longer looking for a cure. He had accepted it in his life. And I wonder if some of us in this room have accepted a diagnosis that God intends to heal. I wonder if some of us have gotten comfortable in complacency, comfortable with dysfunctions in our life. That's where Naaman was at. In verse 2, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She's a young girl in a male-dominated society. She's in a low-ranking position. And yet she doesn't allow her circumstances to control her courage. Rather, she uses her courage to change her circumstances. She speaks to the powers at hand. And she says, if only my master Naaman would see the prophet who's in Samaria. In other words, this girl had a history and she knew about how powerful her God was. And she said, if only Naaman. How did she know that Naaman was sick? Because Naaman could hide it from everyone on the outside, but he couldn't hide it from those in his house. You can hide it at church, but once you come home, she's changing the clothes, and she sees the skin on there. She sees the blood. She's overhearing the conversations between Naaman and his wife. She's seeing how he screams when he, when he hurts. She's seeing the pain and the, the alcohol he keeps going back to, and, and she sees the way that he's highly regarded by his boss, but when he's at home, he's a different man, and she says, I know the cure to that one thing that's holding him back. I know the path towards change. I know the path towards healing. I know the path towards restoration. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful. By the way, let me tell you three things about obedience. Obedience is never easy. It's never comfortable. And it's never a one-time thing. It's never easy. 
Like God doesn't, like last night I was with my kids and I took Liam out for his birthday to Chuck E. Cheese and we get home at 9.30 and I'm getting ready to tuck him in bed and Benny gets out of bed, Ellie's crying, thank God Mac was sleeping. We got one out of four asleep. But the other three are making noises. I love being a dad. I tell you all these stories, but I just want you to know I love my kids. I love my season of life. It's amazing. Life is beautiful. So here I am. I'm in the room and Liam says something right as I'm leaving. He says, Daddy, you promised you'd put together the Star Wars Legos with me today. And I'm like, it's 930. We just had church service. I got to prepare. I'm going to work a little bit more on my sermon for tomorrow. And he says, you promised. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, keep your promise even when it hurts. That's Psalms 15:4. Be a promise keeper this year. If that's one change you make in your life, be a promise keeper. I think some of us are craving the spectacular, and God's just asking us to do those simple, small, spiritual steps of obedience, like just spending time with our kids and building Legos and playing Star Wars, even though it's your least favorite activity. <laughs> so I sat down with him. I said, let's do it. So we started building Star Wars. Benny comes in there. He wants to be a part of it. And I walked out of the room. And I heard God say, I'm so pleased with you. I think some of us in this room, we crave, like, I remember talking to this one guy, and he was like, man, I just want to see the dead come back to life. I want to see the blind eyes open. And, and I could see his wife just staring at him from a distance. And part of me was just wondering, is everything okay there? Because we want God to do the spectacular out here. But I wonder what leprosy the wife sees at home. I wonder what spots you're hiding from the church. And you're talking about like dead coming back to life, but you won't even be obedient in the small steps of being patient with your children. You could be a public success, but be a private failure in your own house. You could be successful in your company, but when you come home and they start washing your clothes and they start seeing the blood, she starts seeing the skin particles, and I don't mean to be graphic, but, but this young girl, she sees something's not right with Naaman. He can hide it from his boss. He can hide it from his church. He can hide it from his coworkers. But she's overhearing conversation. She's seeing things. And in verse 3, she speaks up. She says, if only my master, if Naaman, would just see the prophet who's in Samaria. This was courageous. He would cure him of his leprosy. Here she, she's casting a vision. She says, if you only knew the potential that God has for you, God did not intend for you to be held down by these weights, Naaman. If you only knew that God wants to set you free of the sandbags that are holding you down, if you only knew, my question for you is, can you take advice from someone who's beneath you? Can you handle correction from someone who's younger than you? Because here Naaman is, he's stronger than her, he's more powerful than her, he's older than her, he's more experienced than her, and yet here she is, she's speaking truth to him. And what we're going to find out is Naaman listened. One of the strongest things you can do, men, is listen to the people that are beneath you. Listen to the people that are trying to speak vision. Here she is. She's casting a vision. She's casting faith for Naaman. She's saying, Naaman, you don't have to stay addicted. You don't have to stay afflicted. You don't have to stay oppressed. You don't have to hide that stuff. You can be healed. You can be free. I'm speaking to someone today. You can be healed in 2020. You can be restored in 2020. You can get your mind back. You can get your marriage back. You can get your health back. You can get free from depression. You can get free from that addiction. You can be healed of that sickness. You can be healed of that problem in your life. But the question is, do you believe it? Because for Naaman, once he listened to it, it's one thing to listen to it. It's another thing to believe it. How do we know that Naaman believed it? 
Because the very next verse, he immediately acted on the vision that was cast. A real vision leads to real action. If you're not taking notes, let me just say it right now, note takers are history makers. And if you're going to have a life change this year, I dare you to get your Bible and your notepad. Bring it to church and start listening and taking notes. Note Note takers are history makers. So watch this. Real vision leads to real action. What does Naaman do? He hears the vision. Faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of God. What are you doing right now? You're sitting in church. You're hearing a vision. What are you doing with the vision? Information is not enough. Application is what leads to the change you're looking for in your life. So once Naaman hears it, immediately in the next verse, he goes to his boss. He goes to his master. Obedience is never easy. You see, if we're going to have a change in our life, we're going to have to obey the vision of faith that God is casting for us. God doesn't want us just to dream about healing. He doesn't want us just to dream about change in our life. He doesn't want us just to hear other people's stories of victory, how they lost the weight, how they healed their marriage, how they changed their life, how they walked in victory in their mind. God wants you to have a personal revelation of real victory in your life, but it's going to require obedience. Let me tell you three things about obedience. Obedience is never easy. It's never comfortable, and it's never done with just one act of obedience. It requires a step-by-step of of repetitive acts of obedience. We don't have life change just by a breakthrough. Like, Like, a breakthrough is great. When a guy wins a lottery ticket, that's nice. His temporary circumstances are immediately changed, right? He gets money. But most people who research those people who win those lottery tickets, years later, change has not happened in their life. In order for real change to happen, it doesn't happen just by a one-time breakthrough. It happens through micro-habits, micro-spiritual habits in your life. So what Naaman is about to do is he's going to act on the word from God. He's going to act. That's the first step of obedience is just acting on the word. You hear it and you obey. Dr. Cho, who planted a church in Seoul, South Korea, his recipe for success is I pray and I obey. I pray and I obey. If you're going to have success this year, if you're going to have lasting change, obey the word of God. There was this woman who wrote a blog, and I was reading it last week, and she said, I was married for 15 years to a very mean husband, and he held a list over my head of 25 things he expected me to do every week. I had to clean, I had to pick up, I had to do this, I had to cook, I had to do all these things, and he just shamed me on a constant basis of how I was never fulfilling all 25 things on the list. She said, so I did it. I didn't divorce him, I stayed faithful to him, but I was miserable. She said, then he died. And she told herself, I swear I'm never getting married again. I'm going to be a widow the rest of my life. I don't want to repeat that. But five years went by, and she met this man who really loved her. And he was a good Christian man, and and she thought, no, it can't be true. It's too good to be true. I'm going to end up in the same kind of toxic marriage that I was in before. But he kept on loving her. And finally, he proposed to her, and she finally decided to say yes. And she was writing in her blog, she said, we've been married now for 10 years, and I was cleaning out my attic, and I came across a box of old pictures, old notes from my first husband who had died. And I found the note of 25 things he expected me to do. And she said, I started crying. Because she said, I realized I'm actually doing all 25 of those things today in my marriage. But it's not because I have a husband who's holding a list over my head. It's because I have a husband who's loving me. Every morning, every day, he's just telling me I love you. He has not held a list over my head. She said in the previous marriage, I did it because I had to. See, sometimes we're living our Christian lives with this 
struggle as if we've got to, I have to obey. Obedience is never easy at first, but over time, the more you obey, the more you fall in love with Jesus, the less of a list. I dare you to throw out the list this year, fall in love with Jesus, and watch what God will do as you start obeying from a place of love instead of a place of grudge and hatefulness and bitterness. I have to tithe. I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. What if you start realizing, man, God's way is so much better than my way? And if I will start walking in that obedience, walking in that love, watch what God will do in your life. So name and obey. He went to the king and he said, listen, king, I know I've been trying to impress you in verse five, verse four. He says, I know you you see me as this highly regarded soldier. You see me as this successful man, but there's something you haven't seen. There's something I haven't shown you because with leprosy, you can cover it. You can bandage it up. You can hide it beneath your clothes. And so right then and there, he got vulnerable. And he said, "Uh, there's something I need to show you. He lifted up his shirt. Y'all are looking close like, what is it, Paul? It's just a freckle. This is just an illustration. There's nothing there. (laughs) But he said, I've been hiding this from you, and uh, I got to be honest, man. My My wife's been talking to me about it. Other people are starting to see it, and I need a change in my life. For some of you, the change will only happen until you get vulnerable in front of the very person that you're trying to impress This is why we do altar calls at the church. It's a place of vulnerability. Vulnerability is a pathway towards real change in your life. You can't change if you live in your ego. You can't change if you hold on to your pride. I'm all good. I'm doing great. I'm super natural. I'm highly blessed and have no stress and have no issues. I'm doing just fine. But the problem is, as long as you keep denying that there's areas in your life that need to change, you will never experience the change that needs to happen. It wasn't until Naaman went to the king and got honest and got vulnerable that finally he felt the release to go to rehab, to go to the very place that was outside his comfort zone, that wouldn't be easy, that would require some humility, and it was there that he would experience his lasting change. So the king said, okay, Naaman, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to experience this change in your life. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now follow with me here. This is where it gets really awesome. So he goes to Israel. Probably took a few days, maybe even a week to get there. And when he gets to Israel, he shows up to the king of Israel. Now, this is the second most powerful man in one of the most powerful countries in his time in Syria. Showing up to the king of Israel, and he said, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you. And and now the king of Israel is reading this. That you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his robes and he said, am I God? Can I heal you? Can I set you free? Can I cure you of this leprosy? Why are you trying to start a quarrel with me? And Elisha overheard the king. Elisha overheard because Elisha lived in the same vicinity. He was the prophet in Israel. When Elisha heard what the king of Israel was doing, he said, why have you torn your robes? Have this man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. In other words, Elisha was saying, listen, king of Israel, you don't have to figure this out. The power of God is going to do what you cannot do. What you cannot do, God has a cure for. What you cannot offer from the world, God has a cure for. Some of us have gone to all the other remedies except for God. God says, I have the cure for the thing you're trying to fix. The habit you're trying to start, the habit you're trying to break, the air in your life that needs healing and restoration, it's going to come through the word of God. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, I want you to just picture this. Here Naaman is. 
And uh, can I, I need a, a Naaman in the room today. I need someone to play the part of Naaman. You? Okay, come down here. Give this guy a big hand. Come on, here he comes. <laughs> now imagine Naaman is showing up here. And he shows up at the house. Look at verse 9. He shows up at the house of Elisha with horses, with chariots. And he's at the door of Elisha's house. He's got this whole entourage. So he looks strong. He's got all these people around him. Knocks on the door of Elisha's house. And watch what happens. Elisha doesn't even go to the door. Elisha's so gangster. I love Elisha. He's like, I'm not even going to the door. Make him wait at the door. And Elisha sends a text message. <laughs> sends a messenger. He doesn't even talk to him face to face. He's 20 feet away, but he won't even go talk to him. He's such a millennial. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm a millennial. It's all right. So Elisha says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Naaman is furious. He's like, I traveled all this way, and you can't even come to the front door. You won't even get off your lazy boy and come to. But Elisha wanted to test. Elisha wanted to see if Naaman would really take God's word. Elisha wanted Naaman to know, I'm not the one who's going to cure you. I'm not the one who's going to fix your problems. It's God's cure. It's God's will. It's God's word. It's God's way. Some of us are expecting Bishop T.D. Jakes to come in and fix our problems. Stephen Furtick, Paul Doherty, you're waiting on some pastor, some person who's going to show up at your house. But Elisha wanted Naaman to know this is between you and God. You keep coming to me. You keep going to a counselor. You keep going to a pastor. You keep expecting someone else to fix all your problems, but I want you to go back to your Bible, and I want you to do what God has already written in his word to do. Now, Naaman, when he hears this, it says he went off angry. He was furious. I thought he would surely come out to me. That was his first part. I thought. Everybody say, I thought. The problem with many of us is that we are stuck in our thoughts. I thought are the two words that block us from so much of the potential that God has for our lives. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd be cured of this addiction by now. I thought we'd have children by now. I thought my husband would be set free from that by now. I thought my wife would be done with that by now. I thought my kids would be matured from that thing now. I thought our company would be first. I thought I was going to get the bonus. I thought I was going to get promoted. I thought this financial thing was going to turn around. I tithed. I tried to do what you said, but I thought it was going to be easier. I thought you were going to make it happen faster. I thought gets in the way of God's thoughts. Isaiah says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. Neither are my ways like your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are deeper than yours. If we will just get out of our mind, get out of our thoughts, we could actually start fulfilling our potential. We could actually start fulfilling the possibilities God has for us. But you've got to break free of your thoughts and your feelings. Do something that's beneath you. Do something that frustrates you. Do something that feels a little humiliating. Do something that bothers you. What if the miracle was wrapped in muddy waters? What if the change you needed required you to go down to an altar call, but you're a staff member at this church? What if the change God was trying to bring in your marriage and your family, in you, man, in you, young lady, required you to re-enroll in Bible college, to get back into discipleship class, to do that 21 days of prayer and fasting, to become a vegan? Y'all are like, nope, that is not the Lord right now. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. What if the thing God was asking you to do was wrapped 
in muddy waters. That's, that's what Elisha said. Go, go wash in that river. And Naaman said, I thought God was going to do that. I, look, at, look at verse 11. I thought he was going to come out here and wave his magic wand. I thought God was going to heal our marriage. I thought God was going to fix my problems. I thought that rehab was going to work in 2015. I thought my goals would be accomplished in 2017. I thought God was going to do this easier. And then the next verse. Aren't the waters in Arabia, aren't the waters in Syria better than the water in Israel? Isn't the river of, of Damascus better than this river of Jordan? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? In other words, couldn't I do what I want to do? Couldn't I keep some things in my life and be freed from this leprosy? And so he turned off and he went off in a rage. And sometimes we go off because we won't go in. We go off in a rage. And I think some of us, the leprosy is rage. It's anger. You got the scripture memorized. You are a giver. You are generous. You are kind. You wear a good suit to church. But at home, rage is the monster that's eating you alive. It's this rage. There it came out. He was angry. And thank God there was a friend in Naaman's life that could speak truth to him. A servant came to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Like if God told you to move to China and be a missionary, you probably would have done it because a big thing. And sometimes we think, oh, the big thing is what God wants me to do. No, it's the small things. It's the little things. It's reading in your Bible every day. It's spending time in prayer every day. It's choosing to forgive the person who offended you last week. It's those little things that lead to lasting change. How to change your life? Focus on the little things. Micro habits change your life. And he says this, how much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed and the power of persuasion. This friend practiced the sandwich method and he brought encouragement. He said, Naaman, do this thing. It's time for a change. Your family needs it. Your wife needs it. Your country needs it. Because if you get set free from this bad habit, if you get this thing changed in your life, it will change everyone around you. God is less focused on changing your circumstances and more focused on changing you. Naaman wanted the outside to be healed. Naaman wanted everything to be fixed, but God wanted to work on the pride in his heart. God was trying to remove the ego. Ego is edging God out, and God was trying to bring life in. So finally, Naaman decided. Are you ready? I want the band to come up. Watch this. So Naaman went to the Jordan River. We got the river with us today. We got the baptism tank today. And it says, so Naaman went down and he dipped himself. Who dipped Naaman? Did Elisha dip him? Who's going to change your life? <laughs> God's going to magically wave his wand and change it for me. Who's going to change your life? You are. I think sometimes we're trying to delegate something to God that God says, no, I've given you the power of choice. Deuteronomy says, choose this day. Life or death, I place it before you. Choose your own adventure. Here it is. You get to choose. 2020 is your gift. It's God's gift to you. You have all of this potential. And God says, 
It's up to you. You've got to dip yourself. You can't keep asking your wife to fix it for you. You can't be, keep asking Pastor Paul to help your spiritual life get better. You can't keep delegating the changes in your life that only you can do. So Naaman dipped himself. So he got into the water. Now, this water looks a little too clean. The Jordan River was full of mud. So we're going to get some mud in there. <laughs> Trey, you're such a good sport. So he got into the muddy waters, muddy miracles right here. I'm going to use the thing that seems uncomfortable, that's difficult. How many times did he dip in the water? Seven is a number of completion. Seven is also a number of repetitive action. If you're going to see a change happen this year, it's going to come down to the power of repeat. What are you willing to repeat in your life? <laughs> I want to give you seven dips for lasting change. That's how I want to end this message. Seven dips, not seven tips, seven dips for lasting change. Dip number one. Everybody say dip number one. All right, here we go, Trey. The first dip is always the hardest dip. Here we go. Come on. Dip number one. If you're taking notes, dip number one, you've got to renew your mind. If you're going to change your life, you've got to change your thoughts. Why? Because change comes down to between the ears. The battle for greater is between the ears. The battle for God's potential on your life, the battle for God's vision for your life is going to come down to the thoughts you think. Romans 12 verse 2 says, be transformed, be renewed by renewing your mind. It's going to start with your thoughts. Why? Because as a man thinketh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you think defeated, you live defeated. If you think addicted, you live addicted. In order for God to change your life, he's got to change your mind. And by the way, the water represents the washing of the word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 26, Paul the apostle wrote that Christ washes his church by the washing of the word. It's through the word of God that he washes you. But then Jesus said in John chapter 7, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink from my water and out of him will flow rivers of living water. So the water represents the word of God and it represents the presence of God. What Naaman was doing, and by the way, Jesus talks about Naaman in Luke chapter four in the New Testament. And it's a reminder that if you're going to have lasting change, it's going to start off with washing your mind with the word of God and the presence of God. I challenge all of us this year that we would get in God's word. We have a Bible reading plan on our Victory app. We have Bible reading plans in the lobby, on the kiosk, at the end of your rows. We want you to get saturated with God's word. If you could get God's word inside you, it starts washing your mind. It starts renewing your thoughts. Why? Because a changed mind leads to a changed life. And in your mind lies the key to victory for your future. If you can think it, if you can imagine, if you can meditate on it, it has to start in here before it happens out there. Just like leprosy is an internal disease before it surfaces on the outside, a changed life is an internal cure before it's an external manifestation. It has to happen on the inside. Everybody say dip number two. Here we go. Keep dipping. Keep dipping. Somebody say keep dipping. Keep dipping. <laughs> the second dip is the renewal of the mouth. If you're going to change your life, you've got to change the words you speak. Something that God spoke to me when I was speaking defeat over my life, God said, change the narrative. You've got to change your confession. You've got to start speaking victory of your life. This is why every week we say, my best days, I have because, because Jesus and God is not finished with me yet, and I'm here on because I have a 
What are we doing? We're speaking purpose. We're speaking the word of God. Proverbs says life and death is in the power of the tongue. If you're going to change your life, you've got to change your words. The first dip is the mind. The second dip is the mouth. Everybody say dip number three. Come on. Come on. You're halfway towards your miracle. You're halfway towards your miracle. Dip number three is the renewal of your vision. You've got to get a vision for your life. Oftentimes we lose our way when we lose our why. What is your why this year? It can't just be to lose weight. It can't just be uh, to, to take a class and learn something new or start a new hobby. You've got to get a vision that I want to be the best God's called me to be. I want to reach my full potential. I want to cut off all the sandbags that are holding me back. This leprosy is not going to stick with me forever. This addiction can no longer hold me back. I'm ready to move forward in my victory. Habakkuk says, write the vision down. Scientists have said that people who write their vision down are a thousand times more likely to complete that vision than those who don't write it down. It's not enough to just think about it. You've got to write it down. Get a vision in front of you and start running towards it this year. What is your vision? Get it renewed. For Naaman, it was to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a healed man, to come back to his country different than how he had left. What if God wants you to leave 2020 different than how you entered it? He does. He wants you to leave better. He wants you to leave healthier. He wants you to finish this year stronger. He wants you to finish this year set free from every single bag that's been holding you down. It's time for you to fly in 2020. It's time for you to soar. It's time for you to roar in the 20s this year. All right, everybody say dip number four. Come on, keep on dipping. Keep on dipping. The fourth dip is the renewal of your habits. The change that has to happen in our life is going to come down to the habits we create on a daily basis. How many are doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting with us right now as a church? If you missed last week, um, I preached about this, and I want to encourage you to jump on this, that in the month of January, we are just setting a habit, a practice. They say it takes 21 days to form a habit, and we're going to just spend 21 days in the Word and prayer and giving something up that our body craves. Habits are what change your life. If you're going to have a better year this year than last year, you're going to have to form some healthy habits in your life. You're going to have to introduce some of us. We just need to have a habit of scrolling less and reading more, scrolling less and reading our Bible more. We need to spend less time on social media and more time on our Bible app. We need to spend less time reading news stories and more time reading the good news. We need to spend more time spending face-to-face -face quality interactions with our family and our friends and being present and less time checked out on our cell phones. Some of us need to introduce some healthy new habits in our life this year. Everybody say dip number five. Come on, I'm almost done. Dip number five. Dip number five. Now hold on, Trey. Are you getting frustrated with this? No, no. Come on, be honest. Does it feel like nothing's changing? Nothing has changed. Does it feel like you're not making any progress? Do you think Naaman wanted to quit halfway through? Yeah. Do you think he was mad at Elisha? For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was ticked. He's like, what? He's rich, he's wealthy, and he's getting muddy. This is frustrating. This is humiliating. And here's the fifth dip for change, your attitude. The renewal of your attitude. Why? Because our altitude is determined by our attitude. You will only go as high as your attitude. Naaman had to have a changed attitude if he was going to see a change in his life. Trey and I, we have to have a change in our attitude if we're going to have a change in our life. Some of us come to church with this, I have to. We open our Bibles with, I have to. We give to God with, I have to. 
We spend quality, we do the things that are obedient, but from an attitude of frustration. You know what kept the Israelites out of the promised land? It wasn't that God was not powerful enough, it's that they, have a, they had an attitude of complaining. So when God blessed them with a certain meal, I know God gave us manna, but we wanted pizza. God gives them quail, but we wanted steak. We wanted full. It was like nothing was ever good enough. If you will just change your attitude from entitlement, change your attitude from victim, change your attitude from excuses into an attitude of gratitude, into an attitude of positivity. If you will come to church, if you will get into that action of obedience with an attitude of I get to do this, I get to give, I get to forgive, I get to go to church, I get to read my Bible, I get to have this meal, I get to be married, I get to have, I get this. And when you have that kind of attitude, I'm telling you, God's going to take you higher. He's going to take you further. He's going to take the cap off your capacity. You're going to go further this year. Dip number six. You ready for dip number six? Come on, Trey. Dip number six. He's got a fresh attitude now. So what have we had so far? A renewed mind, a renewed mouth, a renewed vision, a renewed habit, and a renewed attitude. Dip number six is renew your surroundings. Renew your surroundings. Some of you need to go home and you need to clean house. You need to clean out your closet. You need to get rid of all the stuff that's holding you back. Your surroundings are like these weights. For some of you, it's the movies you got in your house. It's the music. Maybe it's even old notes, old pictures from old relationships. Maybe it's files on your computer that you haven't deleted, that you've kept hidden for rainy days. (laughs) And God says, clear history delete files, clean the closet, get rid of every surrounding that's holding you back. I dare some of you to go home and remove something in your house that's holding you back just for a season. And it may not be something bad. There was a season where our family, we just removed the TV from the living room just for one month. Some of y'all go, oh, don't touch that. And God says, watch what I will do. If you will change some of your surroundings, some, some of us, it's friendships, it's relationships that are toxic, that are holding us back. God says, that person's pulling you away from your husband. That person's causing you to be suspicious about everything. Those, the, you can love them from a distance, but you got to stop gossiping with those people. Stop slandering. you got to change and renew your surroundings. Here's the final dip right here. Dip number seven. On this dip, everything changed. When he came out of the water, he was a different man. He was healed. He was whole. He was restored. Come on, stand your feet all over this room. The final dip for change is a renewed heart. It's not enough to just have a renewed mind, a renewed mouth, a renewed attitude. You've got to have a renewed heart. When David had sinned against God, he said, create in me a clean heart. Oh, God, what did David need? He needed a reset. He needed a relaunch. He needed to hit the refresh button. He needed to restart the whole system. He said, God created me a clean heart. Don't miss this church. I know you want to run to Applebee's right now or Taco Bueno or Brahms. But I'm telling you this most important part of the service. Hold steady, hold steady. If you will ask God to renew your heart, what are you saying? You're saying, God, cleanse me of the shame, the muck, the junk that's piled up, the stones, the wounds, the hurts, the offenses, the pride, the ego. The, the, the lack of teachability, the resistance to receive from someone who's younger than me, someone who's different than me, someone who is beneath me. Like Naaman needed a change, not just an external change. He needed an internal change. Be made whole. And I don't know if I'm speaking to a Naaman in the back today or in the front or in the middle, but I don't know who you are, men or women, but 
today God's saying, you need to change. 2020 needs to be a year of lasting change, not just temporary change, but lasting change. At the end of this fast, God says, there's some new things that are going to happen in your life. There's some new thing at the end of January, as you like treat January as just a full month where this is a Genesis month. God says, I'm creating all things new. I'm hovering over the waters of chaos in your life. In the month of January, just read Genesis. Watch what God does in Genesis. What does he do? He shows up and he hovers over the chaos of Josh's life, over the chaos of Paul's life, over the chaos. And he says, listen, I'm about to bring light. I'm about to create new things. I'm going to give you the power to name some things for your future. I'm going to introduce you to fresh things. I'm going to bring life to you. I'm going to do what I did for Abraham. I'm going to multiply. I'm going to bless you, but it's going to require obedience. There's some Isaacs you're going to have to bring to the altar. There's some things you're going to have to lay down. If you want to see lasting change, you've got to be willing to obey. I want to do something this morning. At the start of the year, we're going to declare the name of Jesus louder than every problem, louder than every addiction, louder than every feeling, louder than any excuse you had to stop yourself from coming to church. Are you ready to say his name? How many of you got some things that need to shift this year, some things that need to change? Let me just say right now, welcome to the Roaring Twenties. We just stepped into a fresh new decade. And they called the 20s in the 1900s the Roaring 20s because there were some statements being made in the 20s. Something was shifting in that, in, that, in that century. Something was changing. And what I sense in the 2020s right now is the roar is coming back. There's a shift coming back. There's a roar being restored in the church. There's a roar being restored in your heart today. Some of you have lost your confidence, you've lost your courage, you've lost your, your strength, but today you're getting it back. Just being in church, those who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Are you ready to roar, church? On the count of three, we're gonna put Jesus on the screen. If we got that now, I want us to put it on the screen because this is a year to roar the praises of Jesus at the enemy. If you don't talk to your giants, your giants are gonna talk to you. If you don't talk to your mountains, your mountains are gonna talk to you. So today we're gonna speak to everything that needs to shift, everything that needs to change. And we're gonna speak the name that is stronger than cancer, that is stronger than depression, that is stronger than suicide, that is stronger than jealousy, that is stronger than comparison, that is stronger than excuses. One, two, three. Church. 